Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Hello there, all you geoholics. My name is Dr. S. Thank you for tuning in for this musical edition of Bad Elves, Seconds of Spatial News. We Bad Elves live our lives one spatial second at a time, and we know you, geoholics, do too. To have a bit of fun this week, we are reporting on Chris Wayne's Directions Magazine article on the mapping of the universal language of music. As a behavioral geographer, aka someone who studies people's spatial experiences and behaviors, this article especially hit home for me. In short, this article explains how music is both spatially and temporally dynamic. Yep, you heard me correctly. For humanity's sake, inherently music and mapping is tied together. For instance, different musical genres have developed over the years, differently in various places across the globe. Jamaican reggae, for an example, is actually relevant to ancient Israel and Judaism, or American jazz has roots in Africa. It is also interesting to watch how different music has spread across the globe since their individual conceptions. Did you know that today in Poland, Vietnam, and South America, they are actual hotspots of Jamaican music? Pretty cool if you ask me. Music also has the ability to describe places and events extremely well. For example, the author mentions one of my favorite maps by Charles Joseph Menard in 1869. This map depicts Napoleon's disastrous march to conquer Russia and is considered one of the greatest infographics ever. This same event was depicted and composed into the 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky. Even without a map, the Overture takes listeners across the landscape of Europe. One last example of how music can depict geography and culture may be the famous Beatles song back in the USSR. Does that song's lyric conjure up any feelings or place, uh, of place or space for you? With that being said, do certain songs explicitly bring up memories, perhaps of a place in your childhood? Some were profound in your life? I know they do for me, so much so I can even smell the place when I hear a certain song associated with a specific place in my memory. Music is powerful, and when you think about it spatially, it can literally blow your mind. Okay, that does it for this week's Bad Elf's Seconds of Spatial News. Reporting from San Marcos, Texas and B2 Studios. We hope you have enjoyed our designated news of the week. If you have any questions about this story or about Bad Elf GNSS products, please feel free to contact me via LinkedIn or the, through the Geoholics channels. Cheers! Hello, Geoholics, and welcome back to another hour of fun, frolicking, and earthly wisdom. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever am, you say, sir. <laughs> I am super excited about what we are, are about to embark on this evening. Thanks to our friends of the program, Mr. Doug Condor and Michael Heath from Cyanic Automation, providing the spark. We are going to be recording a series on the business of land surveying. So, Lord only knows, this is a topic that we need 
really give a lot of attention to. Um, I feel like that was the basis of starting all this, right? Yes, but we're finally getting to the point, I guess. Right? <laughs> After 100 episodes. Right. <laughs> it took us long enough. Exactly. So if you, uh, if you have not done so already, be sure to join the Business of Land Surveying group on LinkedIn, and you will get a sneak peek at all the topics we are going to be covering throughout the series. Shoots, our new... Uh, um, beginnings, beginnings, safety Hit us apparel, with the safety, safety, apparel, share, safety share, and other things yeah, to worry you got about. It? Are, you, are you teed it up? I got electrocution. <laughs> That's great. After you know, he sent over who's going to be on the uh, music. I said, "All right, what's the best thing to do with that electrocution?" Nice tie-in shoots. Yeah, one of the deadliest hazards on a construction site is electrocution because injuries and fatalities are common. Safety managers need to hold regular safety shares on this topic. So, according to OSHA, you need to have the be safe mm. terms. Gotcha. Uh, and they're defined as B is for burns. A burn is the most common shock-related injury. E is for electrocution. Electrocution is fatal in results when a human is exposed to lethal amount of electrical energy. S is for shock. Shock happens when the body becomes part of the electrical circuit. A is for arc. An arc flash is a sudden release of electrical energy through the air when a high voltage gap exists. Mm. F is for fire. Problems with cords, plugs, receptacles, and switches can cause electrical fires. E is for explosions. An explosion can occur when electricity ignites an explosive mixture of material in the air. So that was just kind of good. be safe. That's good. I don't think you've hit on that topic before. I didn't. And with ACDC, you know, that, that one hits ho- close to home. Yeah. Have you ever been electrocuted? No. Like not even like uh, a little a, a little zap yeah like of course oh yeah PJ doing, how about you buddy doing the stuff at home. didn't you get tased that one time you got arrested no <laughs> I'm pretty sure that counts no I did not get tased when I got arrested <laughs> when I was little one time I stuck a quarter in an electrical uh, outlet yes awesome so yeah I got, I don't really remember it but I'm pretty sure that hurt secret guest have you ever been electrocuted I have I was oh. changing uh, some light bulbs at work once and oh boy uh, hit the ballast and. Yep, was that'll do it. Knock you off the ladder. <laughs> that'll it do did it. knock me off. But Electricity I was... is dangerous. <laughs> yeah. no That's doubt. a good topic. We could go on for hours <laughs> Absolutely. about Absolutely. So, uh, unfortunately, we have a, uh, a great guest with us this week and a ton to get to. So, let's get going on this. PJ. All right. Tell us about that opening number. Yeah, that's Money Talks, ACDC, Australian rock band formed in Sydney, 1973, by Scottish-born brothers Malcolm and Angus Young. Uh, Their music has been variously described as hard rock, blues rocks, and heavy metal. But the band calls himself, it's simply rock and roll. Uh, ACDC have sold more than 200 million records worldwide, including 75 million albums in the United States, making them the ninth highest selling artist in the United States and the 16th best selling artist worldwide. Crazy. Uh, in 2004, ACDC ranked number 72 on the Rolling Stones list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. And producer Rick Rubin, who wrote an essay on the band for the Rolling Stones list, referred to ACDC as the greatest rock band, rock and roll band of all time. I agree with Rick Rubin. I believe that's I agree a pretty with smart him guy, well, yeah. for sure. Yeah, he's a legend guy. himself. Um, have not seen ACDC. Um, would love to. Well, I don't know. I don't even know if that's ever going to be possible at this point. It's, I, it's not I the same hearing, anymore. No, it's not going to ever well, be Malcolm's the same. Malcolm's gone. But. Phil's in jail. <laughs> Brian's deaf. Sounds like the geoholics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we are at the Diamondback Land Surveying Studio. No place I'd rather be on a Tuesday night. How about you guys? Oh, absolutely. No, this is where I am. Best part of the week. We got to get TK to come back and pay us a visit. Yeah, we're we're due for a TK visit. Even after all the nice words from last week, too. Yep. 
That's oh. yeah, we're due. We're rubbing the shoulders. He's, yeah, he's a busy man though. He's off in <sighs> Buffalo. He's off in Jeez. Ohio, and you never know where he is. I think we made him blush last week. Yeah, well, after really? listening after listening to that episode, I think he blushed a little. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. All right. Shout out to this week's highlighted. Friend of the program, Monson Engineering. Shoots, what do you got for Monson Engineering? Monson Engineering has been supplying the design build industry with the highest quality measurement solution since 1974. That's longer than Jake's been alive. By a long shot. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You and me both. (laughs) (laughs) They pride themselves in being your one-stop shop throughout all the phases of your project planning to completion. They provide the latest cutting-edge design build equipment, including Trimble and Spectra Precision GPS, Teledyne Optec, 3D scanners, tiny mobile robots. Is it mobile or mobile? Uh, Let's go with mobile. Tiny mobile robots. Actually, let's go with mobile. It sounds more fun. Tiny mobile robots. (laughs) (laughs) Are you guys going to see how many times I can say it? Automated layout, Dell Air and DJI UAVs and Topcon lasers. Monson Engineering is the leading supplier of products for the design build industry in the Intermountain West with offices located in Salt Lake City, as well as Las Vegas and Reno, Nevada. Check them out at monsonengineering.com. Be sure to let them know that you are a geoholic. For the VIP treatment, of course. Oh, of course. Good guys over there at Monson Engineering. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Good guys. They sponsor some golf tournaments that I know of with another friend of the program. All right, we're almost done paying the bills. Time for the Trimble Geospatial Weekly Words of Wisdom. So this is a great quote. Get this. People who succeed have momentum. The more they succeed, the more they want to succeed, and the more they find a way to succeed. Similarly, when people, when I'm sorry, when someone is failing, the tendency is to get on a downward spiral that can even become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a mindset. Makes sense. I'm convinced, 100% success is a mindset. Self-fulfilling prophecy. No question. Uh, that's Tony Robbins, of course. It reminds me of the, what's the guy from SNL in the mirror? Oh, and I am positive, and gosh darn it, people, people like, like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, it works. You know what? We laugh, but it works. I do it every morning. We don't laugh at it. We're laughing along with it. <laughs> Let's catch it to the boys real quick. PJ, what's up, buddy? Jet uh, Setter. Jet Setter PJ. Yeah, I'm doing good. I still, even when I look at this episode 101, I can't believe I'm still coming down from the high of episode <laughs> 100 and knowing that we've done 100. Well, even we we say 100, but there's a, we did a bunch of Geolog Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. mm-hmm. So I think it's probably more like what? Like 120, 115? I would say closer to that for sure. Yeah. yeah. But yep. but uh, formally 100 episodes. So that was cool. Um, getting ready to start the new gig that I mentioned last week. So I uh, went off to, to Los Angeles this past weekend to visit a buddy and have a little bit of fun before um, things get started and going pedal to the metal for the rest of the year. So I gotta go. get down and get focused. So um, getting ready. I'm super excited and hopefully uh, Tony Robbins quote right there. I, my su- self fulfilling prophecy. My success is a momentum. There you there go. You there you coming go. down the mountain. So. Did you uh, did you go to a, like a, what do they call it a raver or a rager? Or no, something like no, that? it was no. just a concert. Like no like raver ragers. No, uh, like uh, no. <laughs> it was just uh, it was actually this this artist that we've followed like since we were in like middle school. So it's really? kind of cool to see that. Yeah. Did anybody get roofied? No roofing. Nothing. Uh-uh. Bummer. It's funny. Not in LA. Because you end up on the floor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so what, what is it? Floor in? Yeah, exactly. Floor in. Right, yeah. But no, it was fun. Um, just looking forward and getting excited. So shoots, you? Oh, what are you I'm up living to? the dream, boys. I'm heading down to lovely Tucson tonight after Tucson. we record. Uh, Roads and Streets is a big conference here locally in Arizona. I would say the biggest of the year. Would you agree with that? 
I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a few days of debauchery and fun and, and having a good time with the boys, including Delphi Delph coming down with me. So that's where my mindset's been the last few days. How about you? Uh, I am excited as well to go to Roads and Streets tomorrow. See, I stole your thunder. Till, uh, till Friday, I guess. Should be fun. I'm sure we'll come back with some stories. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Um, the only other thing, I guess, gosh, just a soapbox thing, I guess. The shortage of talent is ridiculous right now. I mean, we, we've stopped even proposing on new work, to be honest with you, just because we cannot find enough people. It's ridiculous. And every single person I talk to in our industry says the exact same thing. There's just not enough people, period. It's yeah. crazy. I mean, people are like resorting to different ways of approaching their business just because there's not enough people to do the work. You and you're shooting I mean, timelines beyond what they ever should be. Everybody I talk to right now is easily past the end of the year, basically. You know, two to, two to four months out. And it, it blows my mind. I mean, I, I probably field 10 calls a day about survey work and probably nine of them I say, it's going to be three to four months before we can even get to you or think about it, you know, and it's crazy. And crazy. you're basing that just on lack of labor? Uh, for sure. Yeah, no question. But is that something that's survey specific? I mean, you hear so Oh, many. I don't know about that. I mean, I know a lot of the, a lot of industries are suffering, no doubt. But I mean, for our industry. Because of the nature of mm -hmm. how it's completed? I think so. Starts there and really yeah. ends there? It's just catching up to us. You know, the whole, everything we talk about all the time about not being good about promoting the profession. Mm -hmm. And now there's just such a massive shortage and there's such a, a demand. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to say. It's crazy. You need Wait, to so bring you're back everybody from 2008. You, what's that? You need to bring back everybody from Well, we lost so many people in 2008. Yeah, that's you're right. That's yeah. what I mean. Mm -hmm. Everybody, if they came all back, the... I, he still would be in this situation. <laughs> still probably would be, right? This has been I, coming for a long time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So what you're saying is what we're doing here, promoting the profession, it's not working? <sighs> we're trying our best. People here. aren't coming into the industry? <laughs> we're doing our best. We're doing good. Yeah, we'll, oh, no, we're doing great things, no doubt. And yeah, I, we've, we're making a global impact is what we're doing, which is pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, we're hitting that young blood. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a little bit for this to mature. Yeah, this is a delayed it's a fine, gratification. It's a fine here. wine mm -hmm. here. It's going to age. Yeah, I had a conference call uh, or a Zoom call, whatever, with um, Elaine Ball mm -hmm. uh, yesterday. As a matter of fact, she's like, "Let's talk." That's the young blood. We want. I, I got some things I want to run by you, and uh, we had a great conversation. At the end of it, I'm like, you know what? We need to have this call like once a month versus like once every six months because there's so many people with so many great ideas out there, just kind of like doing their own thing. We have to figure out a way to bring all that effort and all that knowledge together under one umbrella and do like some sort of concerted effort to promote the profession. Mm -hmm. And this would be like a, on a global scale. So um, it's, it's, it's a lofty goal, but I, I definitely think it's doable and it's it's being discussed. So we'll see what happens and what role the uh, Geohawks can ultimately play. With that being said, Oof. Our guest that was this a evening. Mouthful. All right, our guest this evening not only has the coolest name, Byram Hess. He's also got the coolest hair. That's, uh, a, that's a good head of lettuce. I was going to I am that. so fucking jealous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, we'll we'll post a picture. Don't you worry. So Byram was born and raised in Arizona. Uh, he received his undergraduate degrees from University of Arizona. Go Wildcats! 
Boys. Yeah, bear down. Bear down. Uh, I didn't go there, but some of my money did. Being a bachelor, <laughs> he also has a, what's your two degrees? Okay, so you got a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration and with a major in Finance and a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. He also earned a Master's in Business Administration through an executive program through the University of Arizona. Bear down. Ugh. Comes from an engineering and surveying family. His father was a civil engineer and registered land surveyor. He owned his own civil engineering and land surveying firm for over 30 years. Byram is currently the chief financial officer at Hess Roundtree, Inc., a small local civil engineering and land surveying firm located right here in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. It is getting beautiful, finally. Finally. Weather's broke. Um, I'm super stoked. As CFO, uh, he runs the business side of the firm and also does project management for both the laser scanning and UAV mapping departments. This guy has a lot on his plate. Byram, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Um, <laughs> man of many words. Man of right many there. words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our, a little icebreaker. So you had a electrocution story. Do you have a good scar story to share? Got any good scars? Any surgeries? Oh, I have lots of scars. I was actually born with an uh, open heart or a hole in my heart. No so way. Yeah, I have a big scar on my chest. What? Oh, wow. Oh, geez. Oh, wow. Geez. So, yeah, I, when I was wow. three years old, I didn't had, know uh, that one when you were getting into it. Open heart surgery. <laughs> you got any scars? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's amazing, dude. So crazy. Well, I can't top that. No, I got nothing. <laughs> you got some good. You got some good ones. I got good scars. You got like the one on your, your heart. heart. I mean, yeah. mine, mine weren't like life or death though. Mine were just being dumb. Um, I got some of those too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted to like really one up us here yeah, right off sure. the gate. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, this is the first in a series of podcasts specifically discussing the business of land surveying. So we're going to we're gonna give this a shot here and see what happens. Uh, we're going to touch on probably a lot of different things uh, on this episode, and we will circle back on future shows and you know dig down into the weeds a little bit more on some of these topics. But I would like to start things off by reading a paragraph from the Management Handbook for Land Surveyors written by Daniel E. Beardsley in 2002. So Beardsley owned a surveying company for over 25 years when he wrote the following, and this is pretty enlightening. It has been my experience that surveyors as a group exhibit poor business practices. Okay, that's why we're doing this. There are certainly exceptions, but my opinion is that poor business management has been the only reason that land surveying has not risen to the level of other professions in the eyes of the public. Let that sink in. There is no reason after all why surveyors should be considered with less regard than engineers, lawyers, or dentists, except for one thing, that being money. Mm -hmm. Engineers, lawyers, and dentists are all regarded in general as being better off financially than we are and are therefore placed higher in the social stratum of society. If surveyors were perceived as being as well off, they would over time be held with similar esteem we have only ourselves to blame for this fate and good common sense business decisions can help us elevate ourselves. That was 2002. 2002. So what would he say so now? Yeah, we're, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're 19 20 years, years later. Yeah, it's 20 years later. And it, exactly. I exactly. think maybe he'd put a couple more choice words in there and expand on <laughs> that. He'd be like, what the hell? 
Yeah, exactly. So if you look at the Department of Labor statistics from 2020, the median pay for surveyors was about 65,000 per year. And for civil engineers, it was about 88,000 per year, which is approximately 35% more. Right? How do we feel about that, boys? <laughs> Let's start with that question. That <laughs> is a jump great right in question. Shit. And say, how do you feel about that? Um, I mean, it's, it's obviously frustrating. I mean, I think the $65,000 per year number, I'm assuming that's an average, obviously. I mean, I know there's plenty of other people doing much better than that. And there's people that probably aren't at that level. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I think that, you know, what Beardsley said in, mm -hmm. in, in that quote that I read, nailed it right on the head. And just like PJ said, that was in 2002. And I don't think we've gotten any better. Mm -hmm. Well, that's another thing, too. You look at the 65 number. How much has that changed over the years, too? So that was in 2020. From what mm -hmm. you guys know, has that changed much? Has it gone up enough to, to be competitive? Or is it per pretty stagnant at the 65? Mm -hmm. Recently, it's gone up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it has definitely gone up a lot, at least here in Arizona. Yeah, in Arizona. Yeah. I, my guess is it's probably nationwide because of some of the stuff you were talking about, just mm -hmm. supply and demand. Yeah, uh, what you're having now is, especially in Arizona, construction development's very demanding right now. But you don't have the surveyors; like they're almost non-existent now. It's, so it's putting a lot of pressure on wages right now. So yep. just getting more competitive and having to get raise that wage to get people in the door and get people applying. Great. Well, it's just like I said, simple supply and demand. You basically don't have the labor, so now it's really forced. I'm you probably have twenty five, thirty percent increases that I've seen in the last like five years wow. surveying. I would totally agree. <clears throat> and the supply is, I don't want to say lower than ever, but it's pretty low. The demand is higher than ever. So it's like the perfect storm basically. And <clears throat> I think one of the reasons that these salaries are continuing to rise, which is a really good thing, but maybe not for the best reason is you have to continue to offer more money to people in order to, you know, to, to bring them steal them, in order to steal them. them. And I mean, and I hate to say that, but that's where we're at. And then you got these guys that are just like, you know, moving around so much, you know, it's like, you know, you steal this guy and then it's like a domino effect. And then somebody's getting stolen from another company to go to that company. Yeah, and no one so, new is coming it's like, in. It's, it's just like this, passing around yes. the same couple, couple folks. Yeah. Exactly. It's insane. And it, it takes so many years, not so many years, but it takes a number of years to get someone from, oh, hey, there's this profession's paying more and more and more every year. I should be interested in this. And it takes them a while to get to that point where they can come in, right? Or are these, are we talking entry-level positions? Uh, both, really. I mean, I, I think there's, I mean, obviously there's, a, you know, a, a, a huge opportunity for even the entry-level guys, you know? I mean, uh, I'm not sure how it is at, at Hess, but, you know, I know there's a lot of companies that are paying just green guys, like $17, $18 an hour. You know, just to get them in the door. And if, if the guy's got the right attitude and is going to show up every day and can pass a drug test and a <laughs> DMV, you know, check. I mean, the guy's like gold, honestly. It's, it's, it's crazy. Well, at this point, we're getting to where we're trying to think of anything. <laughs> is it a new yes. person we can train to do this stuff? What can we train to get people to do? Because yep. we're having to get creative to try to find people to get the work done. Yeah, no well, doubt gotta, about I it. I got to throw this out there. Guys or gals. Or gals, sorry. Yes. Or gals. Well, when I say guys, I, mean, I know, I know. I mean, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time It covers the spectrum. Here. But my Includes question aliens. is, like, uh, so when when somebody's in high school and they're looking at their profession and they're, what they're going to do in life, you guys can offer them 
some you you guys and gals in the survey industry can offer them a lot right out of the gate and then it's going to grow from there but all these engineering people mm. are coming in and saying you can make x amount right out of college and they're really polluting the market in mm -hmm. a way so i guess how do we combat that for survey you got that one got that one byram <laughs> uh byram, more. byram with the cool hair Thinking about it. <laughs> well, you I'm, just have to fight against the, the engineers. You got to pay them more. Well, yeah. well everybody but, but knows. But they're, they're going to pay them more right away. Out and of they, college. And, and they can gain that. Not even out of college, out of high school. Your you, survey can oh, be. Oh, surveyors. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah, be yeah, paid yeah. right there. Yeah. And then you're going to be gaining and you're going to get that eventually, what the engineer is making. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, I, it's not this 35% difference, but mm -hmm. um, a registered land surveyor you're making more than you know the average joe that's just out with the rod and a stick right for sure I, I would assume and so how do you guys combat and say instead of doing four years of college and making this money and then growing into that career you can start making money now and grow into that career because at the end of the mm -hmm. day surveyors and engineers hopefully make about the same as they get later in their careers as if you get like high, like high level management yeah, level when, stuff when, like if, that. Yeah. If that's your aspiration in life, that's yeah. where you should be, and that's what everybody should aspire for. For sure. But to be equal money, how do you how do you convince them that mm -hmm. against? I don't want to call it the big business, but the big business of engineering schools saying, "Come see us," and I got sold on it. I didn't do well. It was engineering school. <laughs> they were saying you make this much out of that, college. That came from the heart. Yeah. I felt no, that. I got sold on <laughs> I that. I felt one. that. Yeah. But I you know, if somebody came and said you could make X amount right out of high school is this job and then you could eventually work your way up to that, that that would appeal to me. Well, I think part of it is too is trying to find the specific type of people that want to be outside and do that kind of work cuz surveying is kind of its own type of work. It's you someone that wants to be outside wants to be kind of independent wants so i think that's what you're really trying to do is target that kind of individual over just saying like hey you can make more money right now it's yeah. it's kind of a specific person that usually because that's what we've struggled with sometimes mm. is you'll find people and they're like oh i'd love to go work out the heat and you get them <laughs> out there and then it's like yeah this isn't gonna work <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah no doubt about it and i think like it, it almost depends it's almost a state-by-state -state thing because it's almost more appealing in Arizona to get somebody like right out of high school to jump into it because you can tell them, hey, you can become a licensed surveyor in Arizona because we don't require a post-secondary education. You know, we don't require a four-year degree or a two-year degree. It's all based on experience. So in, in Arizona, you can become a licensed surveyor without a four-year degree. Mm -hmm. That's not the case in all states. No. You know, so that that sell is a little bit different. I well, think. yeah. I'm, you know I'm what I mean? speaking locally here. <coughs> yeah, but, for sure. And and for the majority though, right? It's mm -hmm. not a four-year degree. Majority of states. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. I Globally, I think it's think a so. little tougher. I think so. I have to look. If Trent Keenan. If Trent Keenan was here, he could tell us. <sighs> like I knows everything. He, right? need he knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. Do you guys feel as though surveyors are embarrassed about where the profession has gotten? And their business practices as far as charging what they do, as far as recruiting the way they do. How, how do you feel about that? I'm embarrassed for a lot of surveyors and the way they do business. And I look at it like, 
I feel like I'm very fortunate to have had a variety of experiences and been taught a lot on the business side of things. I think a lot of surveyors, they don't know what they don't know. And as a result, all they care about is at the end of the month, is there more coming in that's going out? We're good. That's, that's their benchmark for success. Is that bad? I have no idea. Works for a lot of people, obviously. But if you're working for a larger firm, even a medium-sized firm, and there's a lot more to the equation than that. What, other, you, what other points besides just money coming in and out are, are, should be valued? Or do you think should be valued for a firm? Wait, so what? Say it again. Like, if, if they're measuring it based on if there's money coming in, more money coming in than going out, yeah. then we're, we're good. What, what else do you think a, a firm should be? Like, what should they be valuing? How they treat their employees or what other benchmarks? Yeah, what are their, what, how are they measuring their success then? Um, so, I mean, I, I, again, my opinion is this all about me? No, you're, <laughs> you're on the takeover. Byron's, you, you, Byron's chill. You stepped up on that soapbox yeah. earlier, and I, I never heard you get back down. I thought I was done. That's, that seat is risen up high tonight. <laughs> let me lower this. Let me lower this. I want to fade into the darkness and let Byron take over. <laughs> on things that you'd value, obviously profit's going to what you're bringing in, what you're going out. Uh, I think long-term objectives is something honestly missing a lot for me. Is too many people are just focused on now, like, hey, I, I need a job right now for my guys or this, and not looking at, like, okay, are we still going to be able to do this and be as profitable three years from now? How, how is technology changing? How is industry changing? So I think you need to kind of have a long-term, a bigger picture. Employees, that's a so very that's, important thing, especially right now when you can't find people. <laughs> yeah. It's not just about what you do, um, yeah. but also making sure they're enjoying their job. Um, that you're doing projects that you enjoy. I think that matters in work. Um, so you just be forward thinking, always thinking three steps ahead instead of one step back. I think that's one of the keys to having that business mindset is thinking, that forward thinking. But um, do surveyors have that mindset? Some. A lot of it that I've It's a minority. Yeah, it's a minority. minority. That, that pause was, Which, was palpable. <laughs> yeah. But it goes back to the, what we first started talking about, how surveyors, you know, the average salary is $65,000 a year versus $88,000. If a guy's happy making $65,000 a year working out of his house doing $800 or $500 lot surveys, I guess good on him. Yeah. You know, if that's what you're happy with, but... See, my problem is I would question what happens when your car breaks down or you need that new instrument. Yeah. I, I think a lot of them right. don't think that when they're working out of their house. It's like, oh, I'm charging $40 an hour to do construction staking. It's like, well, how are you going to get the new robotic total station? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're more paycheck yeah. to paycheck. They're not running a business per se. Correct. And they have their own business, but it's not a full They don't have the power of like the firm yeah. like behind them. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the struggles especially when you're in like corporation side, like we're in companies is you have those one man shops that that's how a lot of them seem like they're operating. So when you are bidding a project that's up against something like that with basically no overhead, mm -hmm. it, it makes it difficult, which kind of race to the bottom for the rest race of the, to the bottom. Oh, exactly. we've, heard, we've heard that term a few times <laughs> on this program. We've gone over that one more times than we want to. Yeah. And, and then it gets down to like the whole, uh, what, what's that quote I love? You know, if you're having brain surgery, would you hire the cheapest brain surgeon? You know, it's like it kind of brings that in, into play. And I mean, I get it. You know, these guys working out of their house and there's plenty of them, but actually probably more and more all the time um, that have very little overhead. I mean, obviously they can, they have to 
you know, carry the proper insurance and there's, there's a lot to it, yeah. you know? And, um, and there are a lot of them that are qualified and really good at what oh, they sure. do. No question. I mean, I dole out work to some of these guys all the time mm-hmm. that I, that I don't want to mess with, you know, like I'm not going to mess with an $800 lot survey. You know, I mean, my license, I'm not gonna put my license on the line over an $800 lot survey. There's no freaking way. No way. Where there's plenty of guys out there that are willing to do that. And I was on the board of technical registration, you know, review panel for a couple of years, you know, hearing the complaints against a lot of these surveyors. And I'm just like, every time I'm listening to them, it's like, I don't want any part of that. You know, <laughs> it's to the point now where, you know, I, I guess I'm very fortunate to be in positions. Like I work for a company where like, if it's not like a $5,000 job, I'm not even going to mess with it. To be honest with you, I'm going to dole it out to somebody else that wants to deal with that stuff. And, uh, and they can deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. cause smaller jobs are just as challenging, if not more to manage than larger jobs. Absolutely. Why so, is that? They're probably harder actually in a lot of ways. You know, there's just such little room for error is what it boils down to. the sample size is already so, like, small, (coughs) like what you work, the canvas of it. And with serving, so many things can go awry, you know. I mean, you send a field crew out and on a lot survey, $800 lot survey, and whatever. They forget the data collector that day or the battery's not charged or the truck breaks down or whatever, you know. And all of a sudden, this $800 lot survey becomes a $2,000 ordeal. And, you, you know, you're losing money. So there's less room for error. Less room for error, for sure. Yeah. You also get your clients aren't as sophisticated. Yeah, usually. Good point. Which, which good point. <laughs> the, makes well, a lot harder. That difficult. leads into this next question perfectly. So, do your clients think surveying is a commodity or a professional service? Both. <laughs> it's both. That was, that I was agree, a perfect man. leeway by our guest. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh no my question. goodness. Um, yes, unfortunately, it's both. I mean, uh, if you want to hold yourself in high regard, I think. You want you don't want to work for the clients that look at you as a commodity. You know you're chasing the good clients that value what you do. And if it's a construction staking job and there's a restake or whatever, if you're working for a commodity driven client, he's going to beat you up over that stuff and make it even harder for you to make money. If you have a client who isn't commodity driven and appreciates the value that you provide, they're going to be much more willing to you know pay for those restakes and stuff like that. Otherwise the commodity guys can be like, Hey, you signed a contract, you signed our contract. You're basically a slave to us. Stake the job. I don't care what it takes. Restake, whatever that's on you. Blah. You know, no respect whatsoever for the profession. Those are the kind of clients you want to avoid. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I, I find staking to me comes off as oh. a very commodity type. Horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. Hard to survey and that it's, you, you can find some contractors that mm-hmm. have their group that they know, hey, I'm going to rely on these guys. I trust these guys. But for a lot of them, it's just price, and that's yeah. all they care about. What's HESS? I mean, do you guys, like, construction staking to Boundary Alta Topo or scanning UAV? What percentage would you say you guys are at? I'd probably say we're probably a third support for engineering, doing topos, yep. boundaries, and stuff. And then probably a third doing, like, like our solar altas mm-hmm. lot splits and then probably a third is staking that's good and then a group of our staking is our own engineering work which sure. 
some of those are a little more profitable. Than some oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question. So, but I would like to get even less and less out of construction, less of construction staking. Yeah, and a lot of these guys working out of their house, those that's the kind of work those guys are getting. And they're the ones that are... So maybe that's their market. It really is. And they're the ones that are making a commodity. I mean, don't so, me, there's some other larger, com- you know, larger mid-level firms that also, I think, perform at a commodity level, let's say. But, you know, a lot of these guys working out of their house. I mean, they're pretty much commodity driven. You know, like I, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a call about a lot survey, which I hardly, I try not to even field those calls. But I'm like, you know, this is back when I would even think about doing it. I'm like, it's... $1,600. What? $1,600? I just talked to a guy said he'd do it for 500 bucks. I'm like, I have no doubts, ma'am. Yeah. You get what you pay there, for, unfortunately. Out there. <laughs> Are there at-home guys that will step out of that, though, and go t- try to tackle a big job, or do they usually stay on the lot survey, like smaller-scale projects? Yeah, I think they, prob- they stay for the most part in smaller-scale stuff. Uh, it depends on what you mean by large. Like, yeah. There's some one man shops that would stake like an elementary school, like a full school mm-hmm. or something oh, well. like that, like okay. a 10 acre yeah. property. Or but they're not doing a full subdivision or anything. Yeah. Like no, that. that'd be too large, but okay. Yeah. So how, how do you tell yourselves apart from, from these other survey companies? How do you guys prove that you're worth the professional service rather than a commodity? Build relationships. <laughs> We're a relationship driven industry. Basically the AEC industry is relationship driven. So it's about developing those relationships, getting to know your clients, explaining to them why you're doing what you're doing. Um, yep. uh, and then the other part we try to do is just uh, find solution. Like, I believe as a engineering surveying firm, our job is to find solutions for our clients. Mm. So that's utilizing the technology we have, the experience we have. And the more we get to know our clients, the better we can help them find those solutions. So really, it's knowledgeable clients equal knowledgeable surveyors. Correct. And helping your clients become knowledgeable. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's this train of you teach them, they understand, and then it goes down the road. But the, the mom and pop shops may just deal with these people that are calling for the, mm-hmm. the $500 lot survey down the line. For sure. Yep. No, I, I agree with exactly what Byram said. It's just educating the client. I spend so much of my time educating the client and in turn building value. And if you take the time to do that, the good clients that you want to work for are going to find the value in that and they're going to be willing to pay a little extra for it. No question. You got to be, you got to be, you got to be a professional. You have to present yourself as an expert in the field. And if you're able to do that, then you're on the right track to making money and showing a much higher level of profit. Absolutely. So keeping on the survey side, not the civil engineering, I know that you do both, but what's important to the customer? Quality, delivery time, price, service? Where? Do, what? What's, how, what's the hierarchy? Now? <laughs> Everybody says time, of course. But and time and price, I think, would be number one and two, but deliver, like uh, your quality and service... I think it should be higher. I think it depends on that goes back to the knowing your client. It's for some people, it's going to be quality for some people. It's going to be the service. Some people it's time is usually one of the biggest ones. Mm -hmm. Like um, some of our more profitable clients, it's because they know, Hey, I call you and I need that in 24 hours. You're going to stay late and jump through hoops and get it done. Yep. Um, And that's what allows us to have higher profit margins for that client because they know that. So, Mm. but 
each client's a little different. So that's why you need to get to know and find out what's what's important to them. And some mm-hmm. are just price. That goes back to the commodity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now's a crazy time. You know, I mean, now, like we were talking about earlier, I mean, most surveyors are two to three months out. So it's it's delivery time. Um, and we've gotten to the point where, I mean, be honest with you, we have some kind of crappy clients on the construction staking side. And those are the ones that are the highest maintenance also. You know, like call you today, want you tomorrow, you know. And it's easy for surveyors, I think, to fall into the trap of not being able to say no, right? <clears throat> and letting the tail wag the dog in a sense. So like the client is dictating the schedule to you versus if a client calls you, especially one of these ones that are kind of crappy, they know that they need to give you 48-hour notice, but yet they are insistent on calling you today at 5 o'clock, expecting you out there at 5 a.m. tomorrow, right? You got to say no. You got to say no. You just have you gotta, to be like, you hey. You got to know what's good for you. That's you when you want it. Business. This is when you're going to get it. And you have to, I mean, right now, surveyors are in the driver's seat, honestly, you know, especially on, on that side of things. It's like, I'm not saying take advantage of the situation, but don't let your clients dictate how you do business. You know, if you're providing a good service in a timely manner, you're responsive, communicative, you can basically set the tone for everything. As you should. Yep. So uh, this one behind the scenes here, we have a little bit of some guiding points for this show. And one of them says, do you have so much work that it's hard delivering on time? I feel like that's a no-brainer for the two of you right yeah, now. Yeah, I'd say for sure. Yeah, <laughs> Right now, right? that's for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I just read that one, and I'm like, wow, I don't know why that one was even put on the list. Well, you know, it's it's the time we're in right now. And here's a really funny story. Uh, we've got uh, like this massive, um, I don't know, 500-lot subdivision, right? And it's just now going into curb, which is a huge effort, you know, once you start the curb on these subdivisions. Um, they were, they've been telling us for two weeks that they need to have three crews out there starting Monday of this week, right? Well, Monday of this week comes, guess what? They can't even get concrete for three weeks. They can't even get concrete for three weeks. It's insane. It is yeah. absolutely insane. So they're just running it for no reason, essentially, and they're giving up, you guys the run around. Side. Yeah, but they thought that, hey, we're going to be good to go on, you know, Monday, blah, blah, blah. Monday comes like, bad news. You know, we can't even get concrete for the next three weeks. So <laughs> we got to put you guys off. And that sucks. Minor setbacks. <laughs> Adding to what you were saying about um, being too busy, I think that is one of the problems with yeah. our industry is a lot of people look and say, hey, working more is better. Mm. <laughs> and they don't realize, hey, it's not about being just busy. Mm. Um, so sometimes if you're too busy, because that's one of my biggest concerns sometimes is you're you're worried about, hey, do I have enough work for my guys or these? And then you overbook on less profitable work. Yep. Mm. And then you, you lose that opportunity cost, basically, mm. to go after the jobs. And then you're turning down this work. It's like, this is the work I want. Now I'm turning this kind of work down. Yeah. Working the right projects other the than right just clients. Exactly. quality yeah. over quantity. Absolutely. And no it, question. And a lot of people seem to kind of miss that. It's, they're just so worried to say no mm-hmm. just want to get as much work as possible. And it's like, well, if you get too much work, then you start having to turn down the work that you want. Yeah. Learning to say no. So Learning to say no. You got to yeah. say no. You gotta, well, and you can't leads, be afraid to say no. Let's put it that way. That again leads into how do you guys set your rates? Are they the same as everybody else? Are you guys, you know, competitive? Is it? Is it? I don't want to say race to the bottom because that sounds horrible. 
but mm-hmm. that's what it's become. But how do you guys do it? How do you set your rates and 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 how do they compare? God, Byron. Um, a lot of ours in going to the rates, like we do most of our stuff off percent complete. So like our yeah. rates are kind of. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it, you're maneuvering around. You're trying to get to that end number. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of ours is kind of understanding, um, just studying our market and understanding like there's certain kind of work you can charge more and then there's certain that's extremely competitive. Um, like for us, to- topographic surveys. So if we're, if our engineering's working under like an architect, a lot of times for um, architect engineers, it's a percentage of construction costs. Well, things like survey are usually left out of that. So it's easier to put more money into like a topographic survey. Mm. Um, so like that, we're going to charge more than let's say like construction staking where I know you're going to get this like she's six, seven years ago, you were getting people literally like we couldn't do that at cost. <laughs> yeah. Is what the yeah. prices were coming yeah. out. So that's more how we kind of do it is kind of looking at the big picture and trying to understand our market. Um, and then also where, where we're at. Like I said, right now where you're super busy, it's like, hey, I'm just throw up large number. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, we're, we're extra. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll make it worthwhile, basically. So a lot of it's just kind of understanding and watching the market and, um, watching your competition, kind of understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Throw yeah. it at the wall and see what sticks. I mean, it, to me, it's. I mean, it's it's a total game. It really is. You know, it's like we can have our whatever. You know, one sixty-five an hour two-person crew rate, our hundred forty-dollar survey tech rate, our hundred seventy-five-dollar RLS rate, whatever, and that's great. And you're taking that into consideration when you're putting lump sum proposals yeah. together, and again, trying to hit that number because. A lot of people look at it as I don't know. Do you guys do you take in like multipliers into consideration and stuff like that when you're setting your rates? We look at them like that's what you're kind of thinking. You're looking at that. Usually, you can get an industry standard. Mm-hmm. You can either find <coughs> stuff going to conferences or you can yeah order expensive stuff to get that information. But um, yeah, looking at those multipliers and saying, hey, we're trying to hit three or three exactly type exactly stuff. right. So that's kind of your goal, you know. But I mean, honestly, like. Are your billing rates only really come into play when you're doing T&M stuff, you know? I mean, you're using those billing rates to set your fixed fee proposals, of course, but that's just fuzzy math, to be honest with you. But <laughs> if you get a T&M, you know, type project, which I'll be honest with you, I am pushing T&M so much right now, even on construction things, you know, mm-hmm. like, come to them, like, listen, the scope is unclear. We can get to it, but we'll do it on a, a T&M basis, you know, and some of these people are so desperate right now. They're like, you know what? That makes sense. Let's set up a T&M contract. You know, I'm like, boom, it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned at that point, you know? But the, I think the contractor has to take some responsibility because we, especially when we're talking about construction staking specifically, but when we put our construction staking proposals together, it is a best case scenario. You know, it's like three mobilizations for this, four mobilizations for this, two mobiliz- It never works out <laughs> It never works out that way. So then we rely on extras in order to make up for that lack of efficiency, right? Um, So tracking extras is absolutely huge. But it all boils down to, especially on the construction side of things, if you have a crappy superintendent on your project, you are screwed right from the get-go. You're done. You are absolutely done. Because they don't want to accept the extras? No, it's not just that. It's just they're so unorganized. You're like... We as surveyors approach the project as, as if it's going to be run super efficiency efficiently, which it never is, at least probably 80% of the time it's not. And then all of a sudden, you know, your four mobilization uh, 
you know, projection becomes six mobilizations. You know, why is there two extra mobilizations? You have to look at that then and then find out, okay, we had two extra mobilizations because the superintendent, blah, 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 blah. Well, then we should be able to get an extra for that, you know, and it's just a game. So is Billington, I'm going to be more lucrative. Oh, for sure. Then lump sum and that because it's being redone and all that. Lump sum on construction staking projects, which is what 90% of them are. It's just so unfair. Because of how often it has to be restaked? With the variables. You just don't know going into it. Yeah. Yeah. You get these guys that like, you know, there's, there's a company in town here that will go unnamed, of course, um, that we can guess. Let's see. They they do a lot of residential construction staking. Right. And I worked for a company previously that did a lot of residential construction staking. And when I would get a request for a proposal for the, for for these developers, it'd be like, Hey, is so-and-so bidding on this project? And if they said, yes, I'd be like, Hey, I respectfully decline because they're going to be 30 to 40% less than what I'm going to be. And I'm not even going to waste my time doing your proposal. It finally got to the point <laughs> with these developers. They're like, and I would say that every single time, like if they're debating it, I'm not going to do it. Finally got to the point like, Hey Kent, you know what? We've given them so much work. They've screwed up so much stuff. Give me a number. You're going to get the work. There you go. Well, I was telling Kent, um, actually before the pod start, uh, we just ended our fiscal year. And we had one of those projects that basically kind of, like we still had a profitable year, but it was near as profitable as we hoped because we had just a really bad project that had a really bad superintendent oh, and a project that- the worst. The albatross. It, well, it hit us on multiple ways. It also hit us on, it. there was so much restake. It was almost like we picked up a whole nother large <laughs> job. So we're already, everyone's already slammed. And now you're doing tons of extra overtime that you're not really getting- compensated back for and it's it's, it messed up our scheduling it messed up everything but then what should have been like hey i'm let's go and do these many trips it was probably like five times as many trips Mm. because the because a bad superintendent basically they'll schedule everything horrible and all your stakes will get out there again it's just it can be a nightmare tour exactly so in a situation like that do you ask them for more you talked about the extras you can't do they have to they don't that's a, a good faith thing right um, yeah, kind, kind of. And I think, you know, having everything documented is so important. Um, but you can't let it fester either. You know, you can't let like a bunch of restake, you know, can't wait two months to try to build a bunch of restake that was, you know, done two months ago. Cause you'll never get that. I mean, you have to stay on top of you it to like, all the time. Like, yeah. Hey, we can come out there. We'll take care of that. But it's going to be restake. this. It's yeah. a restake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every, I mean, like for me, I mean, I, you're comfortable having that conversation. Oh, totally comfortable having that conversation. But I mean, I will get an email for everything. You know, I'm like a phone conversation doesn't count in my mind. I'll have a conversation like, listen, we'll come out there, but here's what it's going to cost. Send me an email saying that you are in agreement with this. So everything's you know, in writing. Every, you got to have a paper trail these days. I mean, CYA, especially on construction is like <laughs> the most important thing. It is, it's ridiculous, you know? And like, we probably have one of the lowest fees on the project, but take on the highest responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It makes no freaking sense. So it makes no sense. What would happen if you guys raised your rates and did less work? How how would that? That's a good question. That go? That's a Byram question right there. He's much smarter <laughs> than I am. Depends. <laughs> but the building yeah, relationships, yeah, yeah. Exactly. et cetera. I know you go back to that, yeah. but well, that's where you would idealistically want to be. Like that's where why I want to get out of staking and get into more stuff that's yeah. hey, I'd rather have our guys working forty to forty fives instead of fifty to fifty fives. <laughs> Um, and make the same amount of profit or more. Well, actually, usually you're going to make more profit in those situations if you're. Mm. Um, but you have to find those clients and develop that stuff. Mm-hmm. But 
that's to me is the goal always is to find that type of work. Yeah. Well, uh, with that, would you be able to make more money? Uh, it, it depends be on profitable. So yes, what the work, more it, money. If you're doing say, say like the low margin stuff, like a ton of the staking, mm-hmm. the only way you're going to make a lot of money is uh, volume. Yeah. <laughs> so like a company, like I, I'm a small, we're 15 employees. Um, for us to make more money, we're basically going to have to make more profitable work, like mm-hmm. less work, a more prof- higher margin. So that's what we are trying to shoot for. That's where we're trying to get to. But um, with the higher prices and less money, would you be able to deliver faster? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what some I would, of these timelines are so short that there's no way you can deliver faster, period. Well, long term, I'd say... Yes, in the fact that if you have more time and more, if you're making a higher profit, you're going to be able to invest more in your employees for training and things like that to be more efficient and into technology. Mm-hmm. So it's going to if, make the more efficient itself too with the technology. Exactly. As, as things go on, yeah. So that's kind of what you're shooting for is saying, hey, like I need to be able to make money to be able to take resources and put those towards my employees or towards things like technology to constantly be getting more efficient. Yeah. I also think if you're working with these higher margin clients too, in terms of efficiency and delivering faster, you're going to, as you work with them more, you're going to understand what the, what kind of questions they're coming back with, what they're expecting. And when you go work on other sites for them or other projects for them, you're going to know, okay, well, the last three times they wanted this, this, and this, go out there and get it done right away. And you can be, can be faster in that way too, right? Because you're cutting right to what they want. Uh, that that's a big part of it. That's um, and that goes back to the knowing your client, yeah, um, and kind of knowing what they need. And over time, you kind of refine your process to tailor them to get it right to that. So it does. Mm-hmm. It's it's my guy who knows I can go here to here. And, um, so well, here's here's a question let, for both let, of you guys. I got, okay, uh, go ahead. No, I, I was <laughs> just saying I, I happened to talk to somebody today who we all know and actually has been on the show before. And he does a lot of these Alta surveys for like these national Alta brokerage companies, right? Which if you're not the cheapest guy, you're not going to get the job, right? So he is finding ways using technology basically to provide an Alta survey spending the least possible time on it. You know, it's like, I can do it for 2,500 bucks. And I'm like, why do you want to? You know, what, so this just is the high volume, work? low margin. Yes, high volume, low margin. to the bottom. Yeah, but because then like these, these Alta brokerage companies, they're taking your $2,500 and charging their client $5,000. They're driving the price down, you know, getting, they'll, they'll blast out these opportunities to who knows how many, you know, two dozen survey companies. And the lowest guy that comes back is going to get the job. And then they mark it up, who knows, 200%, whatever, and they're oh, making course. money. So it's just like, that's a total commodity situation there. And, you know, if you want to be part of that game, more power to you. But that's not a game that I am willing to play. <laughs> There's just no well, way. You're, you're, you're discrediting the profession completely. Man, in man, addition to everything he's else. He's already answering my question before I ask it. We've been we've been together too long. What's the question? Are you okay leaving price sensitive clients to the low price surveyors? Fuck yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Have to. Fuck you gotta yeah. pick the right project. Go we for know it. That. Just say no. It, what about you, Byron? Depends. <laughs> um, What's yeah, the long maybe play? that maybe that price sensitive client has something that you want down the road. Well, that, that, that actually is one of the answers. Some, sometimes you'll, just to get in, you'll go cheaper, but also depends I agree with on, that. on the overall mm-hmm. market. Yep. Um, but if it's just a fly-by-night, one-time thing that's looking for the cheapest person, like he was saying, 
looking for these all national. Well, these these national all you brokerage. Don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't need that. It's ridiculous. It, Headache in normal times. No, when things get tight, like let's go back sure. after the Great Recession. Sure, you yeah. got to do what you got to do. So that's why I say okay. it depends. But in general, in normal, but like today, yeah, I turn those. I don't <laughs> no want way. that kind of work. There's yeah. No way. <laughs> um, no way. Well, in all this talk about margin and profit <laughs> and everything, what what kind of jobs have the best margin? Yeah, what are the high? What do I want to get? High margin yeah. projects. Where, where if we're if Jake and I are starting a survey firm tomorrow, what are we out of our house? For? <laughs> I know for us, my guess is it's going to be more specialty um, areas. Like if you're in with like here locally, like if you're with maybe an APS or SRP sure. or telecom or like yeah. what we do with the solar stuff. Um, like I said, topos for us are high margin just because you're able to charge and. With the advances in technology in the mm-hmm. last like fifteen years, you are able to do a lot more with a lot less. So, yeah, um, but still kind of charge similar to what you used to. So. Yeah, I think anything with um, like public money, mm-hmm. I think they're those are a lot, lot. I think the profit margins are a lot higher. You know, like you like you mentioned, do, you know, work for public yeah, utilities, right. Southwest Gas, in this case, and stuff like that. You know, you get on those on calls you have a pretty good chance of making a decent profit, mm-hmm. having a decent profit margin, or I mean, I mean, in my for me specifically, the projects that I can think about that have just made Buku profit are like power line projects, mm-hmm. just because there's so much. We're such a small piece of the pie, and there's so much money, like millions and millions and millions of dollars in these things, yeah. and they're not going to balk at anything. Basically, you know, as far as like extra restaking or whatever, if you can justify it, you're going to get the money at whatever rate. You know, um, well, who's the client there? Is it? The government, the city, or no, like, no, it'd be like, it a, like a like a power company, like oh, a power okay. company that that like a company that constructs these like you know high voltage overhead power line projects and stuff like that. You know, we did like a twenty six mile one in Vegas uh, at my previous company, and it was it was such a ridiculous money maker. But they don't care. You know, they're just like if you're responsive, you're doing a great job. That's all we ask. Just. Yep. Do what we ask you to do, and uh, we're going to make it worth your while. And there are so many. There's probably more opportunities like that now than ever. Actually, you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta find them. You know, you gotta. It's for me. It's just quality clients. Yeah. There, there's so many quality clients out there that you got to target, and the ones that don't fall in that category, you gotta avoid. I was gonna say, oh, if there, you can. are there clients or people, no matter what the profit is, that you don't want? Hmm. Like what? Like for what reason? What would be a reason? I, like that you bad rep. Yeah, bad rep. Bad. Bad. It's gotta be people like that. I'm sure bad, there is. Yeah. Well, you, we just talked about having it. If you get on a site and with a bad super, and you know it's a bad super, that if and he's working on the next oh, yeah, one, for sure. then you're gonna to stay away from that guy until they're, they're definitely, the end of days. Yeah, they're definitely like subpar contractors that get a reputation that you may have to learn the hard way. That but you then you stay. You away. don't want to work for them. Yeah, yep. you don't want to work for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about government jobs? Are those high margin? I mean, we talked about APS and SRP. I think that kind of falls into that category. But are they outbidding for the lowest or are they? It depends on what work you're doing. Like we do a lot of schools, so we have a lot of on call. Mm-hmm. Um, on what I call like the more legal side, the mm-hmm. mapping like Altas, Topos, that you'll make good margin when it comes to staking still. Yeah. Yep. You still have these. Because we've It doesn't had, matter who the client is. If you're staking, you're not making. Well, you are... If, if you're able to get like an allowance and get a good number, yeah. what happened after the Great Recession is you had a bunch of low ball people. So they'd make like if you're a legitimate like a hey, we're a company, we're gonna do it the right way and things, they'd come in and put like a ten thousand dollar number on something should be like forty thousand. Yeah. And you're 
owners are like, wait a second, are you trying to rip us off? And we're like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So that kind of work is still not as profitable, but it's, they pay good. Cause you have to do basically qual qualification an RFQ. That's you what I was just going to say. Exactly. Basically yeah. off your qualification. So once you're selected off of that, then you're kind of in. So yeah. Anything that's qualification based. Yeah you have a pretty good chance of making money on. Is that typically what the government sites yeah. are? There aren't they qualifications? RFQs. Mm -hmm. Most yeah. of the time you have to have, whether it's engineering or surveying, you have to do an RFQ. Or you can get on a general one. Like we're on some that then they can like piggyback on and mm. like anyone. In the You've already been like almost pre-approved or something? Basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, even like if you get on with like the flood control district, mm -hmm. that's a great contract to get. And they're, they have an opportunity to do like, you know, like anything under $25,000 or whatever, you know, they don't even have to get it approved. They can, yeah, just, just, you know, you they can just give you a work order for stuff like that. Those are great. Well, and you don't have to worry about getting paid, right? Because right. it's, it's the government. They're going right. to have a check for you. Well, you have to have a PO in place. So mm -hmm. yeah. Basically, the money has to be set aside for the work. Yeah. Technically, before you start working. Which 99% sure. of the time yeah. is, so you're good. <laughs> yep. but now, do you guys collect money up front? Should you collect money? <laughs> we do for um, residential. Like if it's if it's someone that we work with all the time, then we don't. But yep. if it's someone, hey, like, hey, we have a little boundary survey for our property. If we're going to take a project on like that. Or even if it's like a new client mm -hmm. that we're mm -hmm. just unfamiliar with, a lot of times we'll say like 50% up front or because yep. it's just the unknown. It's the unknown, and I don't Guaranteed. want to try to chase, for sure. chase you down to get paid. Right? It's, not, yeah. it's not, especially if it's yeah. for small 30, residential, 60, it's not worth it. Yeah, like. Well, that's the thing. I mean, some of these crappy clients, you know, that don't pay on time and everything, and you spend more time and money trying to track down payment. It's, it ends up being a, a loss in so many ways. It's crazy. But um, to your question, I mean, I, I think that you shouldn't be afraid to ask for money up front. It's a professional yeah. service. Um, and if it's just like Byram said, you know, for new clients, we do the exact same thing. It's 50% up front. And then the other 50% at the time of deliverable. Yeah, we'll a lot of times yeah, give an yeah. unsigned, here's your PDF, but we're not going to sign it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> We've done that many times. Here it is. Yep. So yep. this is just a random question for the two of you. How many accounts have you written off that you've never collected on? Oh, within, wow. I'm not going to say all time, but just within the last year or so. Any big ones come to mind? Yeah, is there something? You don't have to give out names. Oh, yeah, of course we're, not. We're, we're going to keep it We're under. not the debt collectors. Yeah. <laughs> Officially written off, not too many just because we do we don't do a ton of residential like we do some but it's that's kind of like more filler in um ours more a lot of times it's off of relationships it's like additional service comes up that's when a lot of times stuff mm -hmm. and then there's some dispute on or hey we're not going to get paid for that additional work and then do i press the how hard do i press the client to get paid for that like i don't want to hurt the relationship sure yeah. so that's usually when we're writing them off restake is something though like we definitely a lot of that times amount of that just gets kind of written off in the yeah going back and forth trying to argue over yeah um but that would probably be the main one would be probably technically restake where we don't actually bill it yet but it's yeah <laughs> work we've done yeah and then, again on the construction staking side i've seen this happen so many times where let's say you you know you build up twenty thousand dollars in in restake or extras whatever all of a sudden there's one blown grade on the project and they're like let's just call it even <laughs> you write off that twenty thousand dollars we won't charge you the twenty thousand dollars for 
couple hundred feet of curb that we got to tear out and replace. You know, it's such a game. It's just, it's an, it's an evil game is what it is, you know, and some going back to the whole, um, you know, collecting money up front, something else we will do from time to time, especially with new clients. If it's like a residential development or something like that, put a, like a pre-lean on the project right, right from the get go. Hmm. So if things go south, you know, at least you got that to fall back on. Did not know that one. So do you guys build time and materials or lump sum? We're mostly lump sum. We do some T&M. Um, usually that's if we get something like on staking that's like an allowance through the owner. Yeah. So through the owner we say, hey, here's a T&M price. Mm-hmm. We're just going to bill it through so they don't add extra on top of it and stuff. Um, in general, we try to do percent complete. I prefer for multiple reasons <laughs> percent complete. Yeah. And that's just been your experience through the, the industry as far as you've been in it? Uh, ju- that's just what we do. I'm. I think different companies do it differently but uh, just personal preference yeah ours is primarily most of our stuff again we're working a lot with a lot of like school districts or architects and things like that which i think you're going to want probably more hey here's what our number is yeah um where i think on like construction and stuff it's a lot of times you'll get more tnm sometimes on that because it's i don't know i don't know all the scope but i need to get someone out here so yeah <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah and that's where you get the Comes let's forget often. this if we get this <laughs> and yeah. And the preference obviously is time and materials. Um, there is also like, you know, TNM not to exceed mm-hmm. type scenarios. Um, and unfortunately most of the work is lump sum fixed fee. So how do you, if it's TNM and it goes over budget, how do you, well, TNM is not going to go over budget though. No. Well, unless you have the not, unless to you exceed. have the not to exceed. That's what I mean. Yeah. And if you have that, well then you got to have the conversation, you know, like if you hit the $50,000 mark that you had in your proposal, you have to get approval to bill anymore after that, you know. If there isn't the t- not to exceed and it goes over, is that just on you? Um, what do you mean? If you're going over budget on a TNM job, though, I mean TNM's just T. I mean, if that's the case, it's just TNM to infinity. Okay, so you can't really go over budget on that. But if it's TNM not to exceed, yeah, and you hit that not to exceed and number, you have then that conversation. And you have to have then, a conversation. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. I, see, I'm new to this, yeah. but I mean, it goes back to tracking freaking everything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> everything needs to be tracked. There's got to be a paper trail for everything. I swear to God. Well, let's let's say you have the miracle that you go under budget. Do you still build the, build the full <laughs> amount? Well, that's why I like percent complete. <laughs> see, I look at percent complete as the more efficient we can be than yeah. we get that gain for sure mm. to where if you're just doing TNM, your efficiency, actually you're going to get less revenue from. Okay. Yeah. So you, you don't build True. the full amount. You just bill them for what you've done. You don't bill them. Cause well, you, well, I mean, ethically you can't. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah. In percent complete. <laughs> we'll, oh, talk excuse me. Excuse we'll talk offline. We'll talk Darn it. <laughs> Hudson might be listening. So I have to say, darn it. <laughs> Hudson's going to be an architect. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. He's pushing for that. Yep. Legos up and down. So, but between the two of them, which usually makes more money? Lump sum? Um, <laughs> it, it just depends. I it, guess. it depends <laughs> on the kind of projects and what you're doing. Like yeah. I said, you have it, it's you have the ability to do the upside, but you also have the downside on like that. It's a really bad project, and now you're have double the amount of billable hours in it. Yeah. So you have yeah. that with. Lump sum, but then you also have the ability, hey, if we can do this more efficient, efficiently, we get to absorb all that extra profit, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I like it. Like I said, I like to be able to say, hey, let's become more efficient. How do we do this better? And then use that to become more profitable. Lump sum and, and keep mm-hmm. on those yeah. profits. 
instead it, of because if you're doing TNM, then it is all like your billing rate is basically what your profits built into. So you're mm-hmm. gonna have to make mm-hmm. sure that billing rate is at a rate that's right. Exactly. Yeah, higher yeah, that's when those billing rates come into play, no doubt. And yeah, I mean, you there's a lot of math that goes into developing those billing rates, yeah. you know. So yeah, I guess goes into the question that I have to ask you both before we call this a day: Who's the competition? Is it yourselves? Are you guys in competition with each other, or is it the mom and pop, the smaller is folks? It, yeah, is it the larger companies? Where, where, where's the competition coming from? Or all angles. I was going to say all angles. It did. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that goes back to the economy and stuff. When things are tighter, and um, you're going to have to sometimes you're just trying to get the work. But like in times like right now, it's it's our, you're more competing, which is finding labor is more the competition. Thing, yeah. Like yeah. honestly, like people will accept a lot. Like you throw numbers out there right now, and certain people will take them because they're in the same boat. It's like, I just need a surveyor. I need this or that. Mm. So, so you guys aren't looking for work. The work's coming to you guys. It's just the labor that you can't. Correct. Find. Right now. That's how most people mm. basically okay. are. It's, um, like how do we that. get over that? Do we had to go out of state or something and recruit people. Is it, do you think this is something that's nationwide or do you think oh, it's, this is, it's this is global? Yeah, this is look at the average age of an RLS. It keeps getting higher. <laughs> <and> higher. <laughs> that's that's right. why we started all this. Jake. Yeah. You got to remember. I'm pretty where sure you, I know you, that number. Where have you been, Jake? I'm pretty sure I know that number. It's 60 something. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's going to be the retirement age. I it's <laughs> and going up. That's so true. I don't look at like, competing against other surveyors per se. I mean, I like, I'm more competitive about clients. You know, it's like, I, I guess I'm competing against other surveyors for certain clients, but if you can win the competition to get the best clients, the dollars are going to come. Absolutely. And some of those on the clients themselves, like it's because a lot of certain clients, it's like, I'm, we're their surveyor. Yes. So when it comes, it's like, I'm not competing against someone else. I'm more on that than competing on, what's their needs, what's their budget, and mm-hmm. trying to say, what's hey. What's their timeline, too, right? If Whether you're going to have the guys available. Correct. And that, that goes back to the opportunity <laughs> cost. <laughs> for mm-hmm. certain clients, you're making sure, like, we're going to have to figure it out. Like, if they come, like, no matter how busy are, we are, we're, we're going to have to squeeze them in because they they come and they're loyal, yeah. Well, yeah, because once we open that door, then it's like you're risking losing that client. Like, okay, well, if you <laughs> so guys can't, we'll call another can't make time for us way. anymore, we'll go, yeah, we'll go somewhere else. And that's Absolutely. a slippery slope, too, because, I mean, we're, we're in a situation right now where we signed a, uh, you know, a contract. It's a federal it's a federal project up north in Tuba City, Arizona. Um I think it's it's a damn project. It's a construction staking, right? Well, now this and they call us last week and like, hey, we expect you there on the eleventh, which is this coming Monday, right? We're booked out two months, but yet all of a sudden we have to have a crew available to be up there on the eleventh because on that's Monday. the contract we signed. And if you read the fine print of the contract, if you back out of the contract now, there are some penalties that are gonna have to be addressed. So it's like going to cost us more to back out of it than it is to somehow jockey people around to get a crew up to freaking nowhere, Tuba City, Arizona. Um, But we even considered like, you know what, let's reach out to our peers in Flagstaff and let's build a partnership with somebody there and just kind of outsource the field work you know, their rates, whatever, you know, 130 an hour, ours is 160 an hour. We're still making 30 bucks an hour on them, but at least it keeps us in good graces mm-hmm. with the, the, uh, the client. So you start having to get really creative and think outside the box in order to make things happen from time to time. And it's just, it's, 
it's just we're walking a tightrope all the time. It really feels that way. Sounds you know? like we just need more surveyors. It's like all they'd be an easy. It doesn't fix. seem that hard. I, I, <laughs> I feel like I spend all my day just trying to figure out how to solve problems and make people happy. You know, it's crazy. Uh, surveying's kept me up a lot of nights because this is a problem that's like yes. I said, this has been going on for a while, and yep. honestly, it doesn't seem like there is a good solution. Um, I think the key is what Ken said is being creative. Um, trying to utilize things like technology and saying, hey, how can we yeah. get more done mm -hmm. <laughs> with less amount of labor sure. or hours? Um, no question. Uh, the other thing is getting creative. Like I was talking to a, our survey manager and basically <laughs> saying, hey, like, should we start going after like GIS students or absolutely yeah, people? Yeah. stand outside absolutely. at ASU campus? Because mm -hmm. at <laughs> yep. this point, it's like, hey, cash in your pockets, handing it out. <laughs> Yep. Hey, if it works, yep, no doubt. It works. Come on in, come on in. I can throw some woods. No. Yeah, no question. Yep. Oh, that's Good at points. the Dream Palace. Yeah, that's the next day issue. No. Yeah, the candy store. Oh man, I think we've covered it all, Do dude. That have, was awesome. That was a great conversation. No, I know, man. That was great. It was awesome. I I think uh, it's time to put a bow on it. You good, Byram? You got anything else? Any parting words? Um. No. We need more surveyors. We do. We need a lot more surveyors. Get more creative. Surveyors. I like that. Get creative technology. I mean, there's got to be yeah. improvements there as far as how mm -hmm. drones and robotic total stations. There's so many improvements that we that have been made. Like, yep. There's got to be a way to take that to the next level. It, there are, and I'll add one thing to that, though. It's actually accelerating part of the problem, too, though. Because mm -hmm. what happened is... Because it gets in the hands of the smaller guys? Is that what you're... No, because you haven't been able to train people. No mentoring. Oh. So what happened is it used to operators. have... Yeah, it used to have two to three-man crews. And basically, the junior guys would be on the crew and being, being trained as they're going. Now, especially as once the Great Recession hit, you basically had to almost run one-man crews for a lot of stuff. So you'd have... Got, oh, either with the ro robotics and GPS to where now you don't have that mentorship, that training. So that's one thing we're really struggling as an industry. Yeah, we could go we for another hour with <laughs> on mentorship. So that's another episode. Uh, the business of land surveying episode two. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Mentoring edition. <laughs> All right, man. You guys, uh, you crushed it. Appreciate it, Byron. That was thank awesome. You. Appreciate you being here. Yes, thank you. It was my pleasure. All right. Another... Uh, Friend making value adding show. Love it. No question. Love Shoots, it. Shoots, I like being on the other side of things. It was weird. I enjoyed it. <laughs> that you, was weird. I was awake tonight. You're good in the interviewer <laughs> role. I like that. Good to know. Okay. I'll be the interviewee next week. <laughs> All right. Please be sure to check us out at thegeoholics.com. Um, and we, when you go to the website, sign up for our mailing list. There's a lot of cool stuff happening there. Like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Don't forget you can download all of our podcasts from the podcast app available at landsurveyorsunited.com. Jaybird, uh, <laughs> send us an email at info at thegeoholics.com. Let us know what you think of the show or if you have any, uh, any suggestions for future topics or you want to be a guest. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Last but not least, please support our amazing friends of the program, such as Monson Engineering. Every chance you get, be sure to mention you're a geoholic for the aforementioned VIP treatment. Pay it forward. Add value, make friends. Get creative. ACDC, Money Talks, available everywhere. Until next time, everybody, be safe and healthy. Be like shoots.
Once again, a shout out to our friends of the program, Aerotech Mapping Inc., ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys Inc., AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS, Bad-Elf.com, Cobb Fenley, CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation, GetJobBook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey, GetKidsIntoSurvey.com, Land Surveyors United, LandSurveyorsUnited.com, Mentoring Mondays, MentoringMondays.xyz, Monson Engineering, MonsonEngineering.com, Nettleman Land Consulting, NLCPrep.com, Parkland Community College, Parkland.edu slash surveying, Safety Apparel, SafetyApparel.us, Tiger Supplies, TigerSupplies.com, Trimble Geospatial, Geospatial.trimble.com.